I'm so thankful for each one of you who have dropped by today, for those who have logged on and tuned in. Let me invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and open up to Acts 20. Acts 20 verse uh, 24 is where we'll begin today in Acts chapter 20. Over the past two weeks, we have been challenged by the Holy Spirit uh, two weeks ago to celebrate what God has done and then last week to anticipate uh, what God will do. And today, the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us to participate in what God is doing. That is, to join Him and enjoy Him. Oh, that's good, isn't it? To join Him, and while we're doing it, enjoy Him. Well, that raises a question. How many of you know that God knows what He's doing? How many of you know that? How many of you know He's already doing it? I mean, He's already up to it. You know that, right? And here's, here's the kicker. Like God's up to something, and much more than that, He desires for us to participate in what He's doing. Man, that is mind-boggling. See, we need to arrive at the place, church, where we understand that the world will never, somebody say never, the world will never be impressed with what we are doing for God. The world does stuff for the world all the time. That's not very impressive to the world. No, what impresses the world, what always, somebody say always, what always impresses the world is what God is doing in us and through us all the while despite us. Like That's the miracle. Even especially when we aren't even aware of it. I, I hold in my hand this morning a letter that was written, uh, addressed to Red Bank Baptist Church. Uh, you open the letter and it begins this way. Church, family, comma. So that's you and me, right? That's us. You're, you're a part of this church family uh, and I am as well. So this is addressed to us and I'm going to read this to you. I got permission to read this letter to you this, this morning. And before I read it, I want you to understand who wrote it. A young dad of a young family. They have two children, one on the way, wrote this letter. Uh, what we need to understand about this family is we would identify them as come here's. Okay? Uh, they're not from here. They're not from here. They're not from uh, Chattanooga. They're not from East Tennessee. They're not from West Tennessee. They didn't come here from another place in Tennessee. They didn't come here from Mississippi or Florida or Georgia or Alabama or Louisiana. They are some real come here's. They came here from a long way away. They came all the way here from Pennsylvania. Anybody ever been to Pennsylvania? Y'all been to Pennsylvania? Wow, that's a way to come. 12, 13, 14 hours. They came all the way here. Didn't know a soul here, but they came here. And so keep that in mind as I read this letter to you, written to you uh, from this family. Church family, comma. I have penned this letter in my mind so many times over the past 18 months, but for one reason or another, I never got around to actually writing it. Coming back home to Red Bank Baptist Church last Sunday, which would have been two weeks ago today, was such a mixed bag of emotions for us to say that the past 18 months have been difficult is the understatement of a lifetime. I think both Lisa and I keep waiting for things to get easier, but the sting of doubt is still so strong. 
There aren't many days that go by that we wonder if we made the right decision when choosing to move home back to Pennsylvania. Seeing everyone on Sunday, two weeks ago today here, has only fueled that doubt. I cannot tell you how much we miss everyone in the life that we had in Chattanooga. There has never been a time in our lives where we felt closer to Christ than with you all. At the end of the day, is there anything more important than that? I think we try to not compare church here in Pennsylvania to Red Bank. But after trying a dozen churches, I'm still not sure we found our next home. I've never seen a church body that truly lives out what God calls us to be and to do like Red Bank Baptist. And I was so incredibly grateful to be a part of that. I will close with this. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who took the time to make our family feel welcome and loved. It was not easy being 12 hours away from everyone we knew. Thank you to everyone who gave of their time and poured into our lives. We grew more in our walk with Christ in the short time we spent with you than everywhere else combined. Thank you for being a church that loves God and puts Him first in all that you do. With much love in Christ, Dave and Lisa Hoffman. Now, Dave and Lisa wrote this letter to the church. They did not pin this letter to some organization or club that they were a part of when they lived here. They did not pin this letter to some school or to the government that they were associated with when they lived here. They wrote this letter to this church. When I read this letter for the first time, I never thought to myself, man, they've got the wrong entity. They meant to write this to an organization or a club or a government or a gym or a school. I did have the thought, man, they got the wrong church. It's too flattering for us. Why would I think that? Well, here's why. I thought, well, you know, maybe they were part of a secret church or underground church in addition to this one, and they just wrote it to the wrong church. But why did I think that? Because truth is we're broken, right? We're all broken. We're imperfect. We're wounded. We're fallen. And so when we receive something like this and when we hear something like this and when God uh, every now and again lets us see what he's doing in and through us we need to be careful we need to be careful not to pat ourselves on the back at the same time we don't need to tear ourselves down we have to live in this awkward place this awkward space that despite our brokenness despite our fallenness despite our imperfections God is doing something in us and through us. This is evidence of that. This letter. I mean, that's, wow. And so when we come to Acts 20, Paul is writing, or addressing rather, the church. He's not addressing uh, the Ephesus, a company in Ephesus. Paul is not addressing a business in Ephesus. He's addressing the elders at the church in Ephesus. Paul is not addressing the Ephesus Astros who have stolen miraculous signs and wonders in Paul's day. It's not what Paul is doing. He's not addressing the Ephesus government or Congress. Paul is not walking this address like we see the articles of impeachment walk from the house to the Senate. He's not doing that. Paul is addressing the church, the elders at the church in Ephesus. And so here's where we're going to pick up today in his address. Verse 24 in Acts 20. Now let me set up 24 because there's a, you see the very beginning word here, but, 
That's a, con- uh, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a statement of contradiction that, hey, there's a change of thought. Uh, there's a, a, a change in mindset here. And so we have to back up a little bit and see what Paul is using this but in reference to. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, but I know the Holy Spirit's already told me I'm going to suffer. But, well, I'm glad the Bible has more buts than a billy goat, don't you? But, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 26, therefore, for this reason, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father, it's good to be here. Uh, Lord, it's good to open your word and to hear from you. Uh, I pray that you'll give us those ears to hear. I pray that you will enable us to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. Uh, for the hearing and the proclaiming and the response and the obedience to your word, may you be honored and pleased in Christ's name. And the church of God said, Amen. And Amen. Question I've been pondering all week How can we most effectively participate in what God's already doing? How can we most effectively join God in what He's already doing? Well, I believe we can sum up what Paul says in Acts 20. With this phrase, we need to be Jesus to our Jerusalem. Just be Jesus to your Jerusalem. Be Jesus to the people God's put into your life. Be Jesus in the home. Be Jesus at work. Be Jesus at school. Be Jesus to your Jerusalem. Here's four ways we can do that. Here's the first one, and we're gonna that's what we're gonna look at today. These four ways on how to be Jesus in your Jerusalem. Number one, we need to speak of Jesus more than ourselves. Right? We need to focus on Jesus more than ourselves. We need to speak of Jesus more than ourselves. We need to put the spotlight on Jesus and not ourselves. Paul does this in an incredible way in Acts chapter 20. He really highlights the idea of putting the spotlight on Christ and not on Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite sports commentators is Tony Romo. This guy is knowledgeable. He's passionate. He's like a football evangelist. I mean, he, he, he commentates a game like you and I would just sitting on the couch. That's what I like about him so much. He's just all into it. And somebody, I've, I've been asked plenty of times, what's the best commentary on the Bible? What's the best Bible commentary? The number one Bible commentary out there today is the Bible. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And in Acts 20, 24, we have a commentary of what Paul said back in verse 19. In verse 19, Paul said he's serving the Lord with all humility. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? 
Keep reading. Verse 24. Here's what it looks like to serve the Lord with all humility. But I did not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, for Paul, uh, serving the Lord with all humility meant that he would focus not on Paul, but on Jesus. See, humility, and you've heard this before, I've said it before, I've heard it many times, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often and thinking of others more often. Right? That's the whole idea of being humble. Paul is not hoping in his highlight reel. And if you, let me tell you something, you read the letters of Paul, he had quite a highlight reel. We're going to look at one of them here in just a few minutes. But Paul doesn't hope in his highlight reel. He highlights his hope. And Paul's hope is repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's hope. The faith he has in the way that Jesus lived his life perfectly. That Jesus died atrociously. That he was buried and raised victoriously. And that he's coming back again. Undoubtedly our king is coming. And this was Paul's hope. And this is how he lived his life. Thinking more of Jesus than of Paul. Now on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we need to understand that Paul in verse 24 is not devaluing life when he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. He's not depreciating life. He's not devaluing life. He's not giving the sanctity of life a punch in the gut. Okay, He's not doing that. He's valuing Christ above all else. Like Christ was more important to Paul than Paul was important to Paul. He focused on his Lord, his Savior, Jesus, more than himself. Now how did he do that? How was Paul able to focus on, to spotlight, to speak more of Jesus than he did himself? Well, if we're going to speak more of Jesus than of ourselves, then we need to think more or think of Jesus more than we think of ourselves. So Paul thought of Jesus more than he thought of himself. Richard Ross said it this way. He's a youth leader. Uh, He said, most youth leaders know the greatest shortfall among teenage believers is self-worship, the worship of self. We could say that's probably the number one God in the world today, self. We worship ourselves. Uh, Richard went on to say that few youth leaders saturate those teenagers with the antidote. What's the antidote? A biblical vision of Jesus. His power, His glory, His reigning King of all kings. So Paul put himself aside and he fixed his thoughts on Jesus, not on Paul. So if we're going to speak of Jesus more, we need to think of Jesus more. Here's the reality. Here's here's how self-deceived we are. See, this is what we think. And by the way, we're all astros. We all steal to make ourselves look better. We all do that. Every one of us is guilty of that. We want to make ourselves look good. Because here's the reason. We think that if we look better, then people will think more highly of us. So we make ourselves look better. Because we think in order for people to view us highly, then we have to make ourselves look better. And we get caught in this deceptive trap. We think we have to make ourselves look good in order for people to think highly of us. But here's the reality. I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here's the reality. People are seldom thinking of you. 
They're just not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Look at you. Who do you think of? Me? Okay. That's what every other person is doing. They're not thinking of you anyway. Uh, uh, Foster Wallace said it like this. I love the way he put it. You'll become way less concerned with what other people think of you when you realize they seldom do. They're just not thinking about you. So Paul understood this, and and Paul was able to say, hey, I'm going to think on things that are above. I'm going to fix my eyes and my thoughts on Christ and not myself. And so he was able to do that. Therefore, he could testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The mind is where the battle is. Renew your mind. If you can think of Jesus, that, that was Paul's formula. Paul said, listen, think of Paul less Speak of Jesus more. So that's, that's what Paul did, and that's what we're to do, to testify to this good gospel of the grace of God. J.I. Packer said it this way, Paul, in his own estimation, was not a philosopher, he's not a moralist, he's not the world's wisest man, but simply Christ herald. Right? Paul's royal master had given him a message to proclaim. His whole business, therefore, was to deliver the message with exact and studious faithfulness. He added nothing, he altered nothing, he omitted nothing. Paul Greider said this way, I feel like preachers spend too much time talking about us, what we should do, and not nearly enough time talking about Jesus and what he did, myself included. So, think about Jesus more, or think about yourself uh, less speak of Jesus more. So here's when we speak of Jesus, what do we need to say? Here's what we need to tell people about Jesus. The gospel, verse 20, verse 24, the gospel of the grace of God. People need to know that Jesus is not just a, uh, the most advantageous way or another way or the, the best way or a better way. He's not just a clean way or a, a cool way or a healthy way. He's not just the right way. When, people need to know Jesus is the only way. Like he's it. Like there's no other way. To the Father. People need to know that Jesus loves them, that he adores them, that he has come to save them and forgive them, that he will, uh, for those that believe in him, he'll always be with them, he'll never leave them, he'll always love them. People need to know that Jesus will give them eternal life, he'll redeem them. They need to know that Jesus lived perfectly, he died an atrocious death for you and for me. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin and to satisfy the wrath of his Father. People need to know that Jesus, although they can't, Jesus can. Although we won't, Jesus will. Although we didn't, Jesus did. People need to know that it is all about Christ in you. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with asking Jesus into your life and asking Jesus into your heart. We see that we, we see in the Bible five different times where uh, where Christ is in someone five times, where it's referenced there, but over 160 times do we see references of us being in Christ. So people need to know that. This is about a relationship with Jesus. So how can we trust what Paul said? How can we trust this gospel of the grace of God? Two ways I want to show you this. First is in verse 7. Go to verse 7. This really, uh, it might have a little to do with a sermon, Really not that much to do with a sermon. I just like it because it's just awesome. So we're going to look at it in verse 7. Uh, Acts 20, look at this. On the first day of the week, then we gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Paul preached until midnight. I wonder if I preached until midnight, how many of you would still be here? 
Let's give it a shot. Amen? Y'all can watch the Titans on your phone as I preach. That's fine. Hang out a while. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room. Tanya just smiled. Tanya loves lamp. Sam hates lamp. There are many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Still, he's still preaching. He's still going. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Like, dude fell out and died. Like, dude died. But Paul went down, bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And Paul raised him from the dead. And then look what Paul, after he raised him from the dead, look what Paul did. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with him a long while until daybreak. He preached until daybreak. And so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So here, here we see that, that Paul the Apostle, uh, he is innocent of the blood of all of you. Hold your finger there. Look back at Acts 20, verse 26. And Paul makes this statement, I am innocent of the blood of all of you. That word innocent, that's a bold claim Paul is making. That is bold. He's saying I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Well, how do we know that? Well, he preached until midnight and then daybreak. He, he continued to preach the gospel. And a dude died. And was raised again and he kept preaching. He preached for hours. I preached five minutes over. You say, Pastor, you went over today. I looked at you, did you die? You didn't die, did you? Well, let's go. Suck it up. Get over it. I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. That, that is... A, a reference to Ezekiel 33. And in Ezekiel 33, we have this impressive picture of a watchman in a watchtower. What, this, is, this is a fantastic picture of the gospel in Ezekiel 33. Uh, the Bible says this in Ezekiel uh, 33. Uh, Make them their watchman, and if, he, if the watchman sees the sword coming upon the land, so if the watchman sees the enemy approaching the land... He is to blow the trumpet and warn the people. If anyone hears and does not take warning, his blood will be on his own head. But if the watchman sees the people, the sword coming, the enemy coming, and does not blow the trumpet, and the enemy comes and destroys them, then the blood is on the watchman because he did not blow the trumpet. But if he blows the trumpet and the people ignore it, they don't really believe it, they don't like it, so they don't respond to it, and they do nothing, and they're destroyed. The blood's not on his hands, because he did what his job was to do, to blow the trumpet. And so Paul says, and Ezekiel, it goes on to say this. Let me read this other part. It says this in Ezekiel. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So here's what Paul is saying. I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. I have stood in the watchtower, and I have proclaimed to you, Ephesus, I have proclaimed to you that, hey, you are under the wrath and the judgment of God. 
You are helpless because of your rebellion, God's wrath and judgment. You're underneath that because you've rebelled against him. And you're helpless. You can do nothing about that. There's nothing you can do about that. Absolutely nothing. But God in all his mercy and grace has made a way when there was no way. So if, if, if you will admit you're a rebel and deserve punishment, if you do that and you receive this free gift of grace that God offers through his son Jesus Christ, then you will be rescued. You will be saved. So Paul says, look, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I've blown the trumpet. I've told you the truth about God's word to you. So my question to you is, who in your life, who in your family, who among your friends have you not yet blown the trumpet to? Have you not yet told very clearly and precisely and concisely that, hey, God has a word for you. You're under the wrath of God and you're helpless because of your rebellion. And I was in the same place. But I put my faith and trust in Jesus who has rescued me from that wrath. And have, there's a conversation some of you need to have today. So I tell you what, if you, when you leave here today, if you'll go have a conversation with that person or call them today and set up an appointment, I won't preach till midnight. How about that? Speak of Jesus more than self. Number two, how are we going to be Jesus in our Jerusalem? We need to work hard to help the weak. Work hard to help the weak, the weak spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, financially. Work hard to help the weak. Work hard, help the weak. Verse 34, 35. Uh, Paul says it this way. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity. So Paul apparently is not your stereotypical pastor because he worked more than one day a week. He had a job. He was a tent maker by trade. And so he used that as a platform to minister to people and to advance the mission and the kingdom of God. I received a call this week from a, a young lady who in our first church at Tanya and I, uh, God called us to in Franklinton, Louisiana. She was six years old in 2004. So she called me this week and asked me if I would officiate her wedding coming up at the end of this year. And I can remember when she was six years old, uh, she said to me more than once, uh, Pastor Sam, yes, Emily, she looked at me and would say, six years old now, when are you going to get a real job like my daddy? <laughs> my own daughter, Belle, has told me from five years old to even today, Dad, you're not a real doctor. So I'm not a real doctor and I don't have a real job. It's not going real well for me, apparently. But Paul used this, his work as a platform. He used it to advance the gospel. So that's my question to you. Are you leveraging your career, whatever it is, to advance the gospel? Or are you leveraging people at your job to advance your career? That's, see, if you're a follower of Christ, now, yes, some God calls us to vocational ministry. Yes, there are some that God calls us to. But that doesn't mean that 
all of you that aren't called to vocational ministry that you can just go and make money and, and, and just to serve yourself and to hold on to that money and not give it away and just live for self. That's not what that means. What it means is God's plan is for you to use a platform He's given you to advance the gospel. So that's the question. Are you leveraging your career to advance the kingdom or are you leveraging other people to advance your career? Paul, had, Paul didn't have an American view of work. He didn't. He, he worked, uh, yes, to provide for his needs, obviously, but also to provide for others, not just to make more money and get more stuff. That wasn't his purpose. Paul looked at work as the purpose is to help the weak, and that's what he did. The purpose of work is not to make money, but to serve others. See, greater financial capacity, when you get to a place and God has blessed you and your financial capacity is increasing, all right, that should also increase your standard of giving, not just your standard of living, okay? <laughs> you get more from God so you can give more uh, for the glory of God. Retirement is not the time for you to say, well, now it's all about me. That's not what retirement's about. You don't ever retire from the Great Commission. When you retire from the Great Commission, you will be away from the body and present with the Lord. Until that time, you are to leverage whatever platform God gives you to advance the gospel and His kingdom and His mission. Number three, you got to hurry up or we're going to be here till midnight. Number three, give more than you take. That's a great principle to live by. Give more than you take. Uh, verse 33, uh, Paul says this, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. All right, what, what, is, what is Paul uh, referring to here? Uh, when Paul put his faith in Christ, no longer uh, did Paul pursue the monster of more. He did not fall into the trap of the green-eyed monster of greed. He, Paul says in his own words, I'm content with little, with much. I've learned to be content. He didn't covet. I think of Acts 3. I think of John and Peter at the temple and how they gave all they had. And they didn't have silver. They didn't have gold. But what they have, what they have, they gave. I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Right? They gave what they had. You can't give what you don't have, but you are to give what you have. Paul, apparently for Paul, a successful and blessed life is one in which you give more than you take. Paul said it here in verse 35. For the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to what, church? Now, it's blessed to receive, but it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, when we think about God, here's what you need to know about God. God always has more supply than you will have demand. Always. I know it's cliche. We hear it all the time. You can't outgive God. The truth is you can't because he owns everything. So he, his supply is endless. So his supply is far more and will remain far more than what we demand. I try to teach this principle to our pastoral staff that it's more blessed to give than to receive. I try to be very practical. We go to lunch and I, I offer for them to pay for my lunch. I'm giving up a blessing by not paying for their lunch that they can pay for mine. And they're not learning it because not one of them has taken me up on it yet. 
Jesus always gave more than he took. So that's a great question to ask ourselves. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's a great question to live by. Okay, am I giving more than I'm taking? For example, in my marriage, am I giving more than I'm taking? Husbands, uh, think about it this way. What preferences do you think about more? Your preferences or your wife's preferences? Are you giving more than you're taking? Wives, think about it this way. Uh, whose comfort and happiness are you more devoted to? Yours or your husband's? Are you giving more than you're taking? How about in your career? Think about your career. Think about work. Do you, get, uh, do you arrive to work late and leave early? Do you take those long lunches? Do you take longer breaks than you should? Do you get on the internet and shop and do whatever you do on the internet when you know you're not supposed to? I mean, are you giving more than you're taking at work? What about friendships? If I sat down with your friend and said, hey, is so-and-so a giver or a taker? What would they say? Well, he or she's a taker more than a giver or a giver more than a taker. What would they say? Parents, are you giving more to your children? Children, are you giving obedience to your parents? What a great principle to live by. Give more than you take. What a great question. Am I giving more than I'm taking? Now, Paul lived this way, and you ask, well, how in the world could Paul live this way? That's countercultural. I mean, how could Paul live in such a way where he gave more than he took? Here's how. Paul knew the mystery of the gospel, and here's the mystery of the gospel that Paul understood. Paul understood there was one relationship in his life in which Paul always took more than he gave. See, Jesus gave Paul salvation. He gave him repentance. He gave him truth. He gave him abundant life and eternal life. He gave him the ability to have faith. He gave him his presence. He gave him his assurance. Paul was overwhelmed. That in that relationship with Jesus, he took way more than he could ever give. And that compelled Paul to live his life with the attitude that I'm going to give more than I take. See, Jesus gave up far more for Paul than he would ever take from Paul. That's the mystery of the gospel. And that should compel us. To live with this idea that, hey, I should give more than I take. In God's economy, what we give away never goes away. Hey, we, we, we can't repay him. We can't repay the Lord for what he's done. That's impossible. And Paul knew that. He wasn't trying to repay him. Just out of love and devotion to this one who gave all to him. Paul lived this way. He lived in a way where he gave more than he took. I remember the uh, testimony of a young a lady who was a spokesperson for Operation Christmas Child. Some years ago, she shared this testimony. Some of you may have heard it before, but she had an opportunity to go and deliver some shoeboxes in Romania to some orphan children there. And so she went to this uh, little boy and handed him a box. And he took the box, he opened the box. He never had anything new in his whole life. Never had anything new. And so he opened this box, and there's a brand new pack of candy in the box. And his eyes got real big, and he was excited about this brand new pack of candy. And then he saw the lady that gave him the box. And so he kind of motioned to her that he wanted to give her that candy. And that spokesperson said she just kind of played it off like she didn't really see that 
little boy wanting to offer him the can, offer her that candy, and so she kind of walked away, kind of playing it off and trying to avoid him because she didn't want to take the little boy's candy. She didn't want to take candy from a child, especially a child never had any. She didn't want to do that. So she tried her best to avoid it, and the Holy Spirit impressed on her and by her own testimony said something like this. The Holy Spirit said to her, Don't you dare steal the blessing of this child being able to give you that pack of candy. This child has never had anything new to give away. Don't you dare take that blessing from that child. So uh, she humbled herself and took the candy. Isn't that the attitude of Christ? To give more than we take. Number four, last one. We're going to finish up. I guess we won't be here till midnight. Uh, we're going to finish up. Number four is focusing, focus on finishing. Please focus on finishing. Everybody can start well. But few finish well. Please focus on finishing. I can't tell you the number of people that have come to our church in the last seven years since I've been here. Sat on the front row. No offense, guys. You sitting on the front row, okay? I'm not making fun of any of you guys or ladies on the front row. But come in. I mean, they're all in. They get on the front row. They, get in the, they want to be all in on everything that we do. And six months later, they're gone. Can't find them. Disappear. They started well. But they didn't finish. Paul was such a finisher. Man, he focused on finishing. So look what Paul says, 36, 37, 38. I mean, this is this sorrowful goodbye uh, that Paul is heartbroken. They're heartbroken. They're not going to see each other ever again. And the last word, verse says, and they accompanied him to the ship in verse 38. They were sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken. They would not see his face again. Paul knew something. Paul understood that God didn't call him to Ephesus to finish his ministry. He knew he had to move on. He knew there was something else. He knew he had another assignment to fulfill. He knew he had to finish. So he focused on finishing. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. He focused on finishing. And I know for you and for me, it's, it's a struggle to finish. I know that. But I'm challenging you today to focus on finishing. Men, don't arrive at, at, at a midlife crisis where you're bored with everything in your life and you go buy this little car. And you unbutton your shirt. Please don't unbutton your shirt. We don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. And you walk out on your family. Don't do that, man. Finish strong. Finish strong as a husband and a dad. Wives, try to think of your life in chapters and say, hey, as your kids are growing up and the grandkids come and just these life phases you go through, think of them as chapters and finish those chapters well. Don't quit and don't stop. Finish. Students, finish your work. Don't stop. Don't quit. Graduate and finish. And how do we finish? We take one step at a time. It's just one move at a time. And God will help us. He'll give us strength to take the next step and the next step and the next step. Now, Paul also writes in other places in the New Testament about what keeps us from finishing. Paul mentions fatigue. Hey, we, we have to remember that people get tired Right? We get tired and we want to quit. But Jesus didn't quit. He finished. And then when he finished, guess what happened? Resurrection, baby. Resurrection. 
Don't you stop and don't you quit. God will empower you. He will give you strength. He will resurrect your tiredness, ultimately resurrect you. So do not quit. Other people, we may quit because of pain. We're serving people and they don't appreciate it. And we get our feelings hurt because nobody appreciates it. God appreciates it. He knows it. Don't stop. Finish. Some of us have divided hearts. Well, perhaps we can say all of us have divided hearts. We want to follow Christ, but man, I really need their approval. We want to follow Christ, but man, I I really love this comfort over here that I don't want to give up. I want to follow Christ, but mm, I really like him or her, and they're not following Christ. And we're divided. Our hearts are torn, and we're divided. Don't quit. Finish strong. Aren't you so glad that when you read Acts 20, 35, and it says that the Lord Jesus, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, he said it. But not only did he say it, he did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus gave his all, man. Jesus didn't get to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, okay, Father, uh, look here now, I, I want you to take this cup from me. I'm done. I, listen, I think I've done enough. I think I've lived a selfless, sacrificial life like no other person has ever lived, and I'm just not going to go to the cross. I'm going to just end it right here. Take this cup from me. We're done. I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that. I'm so glad he didn't stop. I'm so glad when he was sweating drops of blood that he said to his father in all his agony and all his sorrow uh, father if possible take this cup from me but if not let your will be done Jesus finished on the cross he said it is finished and he breathes his last and so how can Paul finish because his Lord finished how can you finish because your Lord finished So husbands, wives, parents, moms, dad, children, friend, co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel, don't quit. Focus on finishing. So how can we be Jesus in our Jerusalem? Speak of Jesus more than yourself. Work hard to help the weak. Give more than you take. Focus on finishing. Dave and Lisa finished the letter. I didn't read the very last part. Let me read the very last section here of the letter. Very similar to how Paul ended his address to the church elders at Ephesus. Dave and Lisa say, Dave is writing this, the dad, he says, he said, I'm not a super emotional person, but I'm literally fighting back tears as I close this letter. We miss you all so much, more than I have the ability to convey. With much love in Christ, Dave and Lisa Hoffman. Because you participated in this church, let me tell you something. God used you to bless this family. You know that? Because you participated, He used you to bless them. And they didn't know anybody. Twelve hours from home. Didn't know a soul. But you know, I believe many of you could stand up and say, you know what, Pastor? Lisa and Dave also blessed me. Because they participated in this church as well. Lisa was, she was a part, really featured in one of our gospel presentations called Hope Alone a few years ago. Right? She blessed you. She blessed me. They blessed us. Why? Because they participated in what God is doing. So let me challenge you today and encourage you to get all in. Dive in, man. Commit. 
participate. And the first place you can participate in what God is doing is commit to this church. Commit to this church. I don't know how long you've been visiting. I don't know if you're still thinking about or praying about joining us. But if God has had you here and he's not taking you anywhere else, it's time for you to commit. Don't ask the question, man, where am I the most valuable for God? Where can I be best used for God? Where can I make the biggest difference for God? See, the world's not impressed with what we do for God. They're not impressed with that at all. But the world will always be impressed with what God is doing in us and through us. So ask the question, where does God want me to be? (laughs) Not what can I do for Him, but where does God want me to serve where He can do in and through me what He desires? Hey, commit to this church. For those that know Christ, commit to this church if you haven't already. If you have, what is the next level of participation you need to take in this church? Are you a part of a life group? Are you part of a smaller group called an E3 group? Are you serving somewhere in the church? Participate, man. If you're not a believer today, I want want you to know that Jesus is the only one who has made a way for you to participate in abundant and eternal life. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You can trust Him because He's the truth. You'll be satisfied because He's the life. You can know the way because He is the way. Don't you want a part of this life-saving, hope-assuring redemption that's found only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Repent and believe. Father, in the name of Christ, we thank you for the day.